Extras for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. This week, two of the X-Men's best returned, and both came back with phenomenal hair. That's right, I'm talking about none other than Mikhail Rasputin and, I mean, technically Kate Pride. But was she ever really gone? That makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this experience, unlike the events of Marauders number 12, in which I better find Sebastian Shaw gets his comeuppance. Yeah, I would like to see him get his comeuppance and his balls cut off. And speaking... Emma better put him in her trophy case, because she knows why she carries at least Scott's. Oh. Oh, please. Scott's and Donald Pierce's. That guy is half robot anyway. And speaking of someone who is much more than just a man, the man who survived our last episode experience, I'd like to welcome back to the show our this week's guest, Rodders. Welcome back, buddy. Hi, I am Rodders, more than just a man. (laughs) So much more. And I want to catch everybody up on what we covered last week. Empire has gotten better, but we can't figure out how it's going to conclude in one issue. And X-Men Empire has gotten weirder. And we certainly can't figure out how it's going to conclude in one issue. But that does make me kind of scratch my head for a moment and think about the fact that this Hoxpox Zoss Docs era is just, it's flying by. I made a comment that John Hickman must have started several years ago on X-Men last episode, and it isn't the case. He started barely more than a year ago. But what he has done has changed the X-Men so much so quickly that I now look at the value of a single issue as so much more than it was before. Now, Rod, you said that your favorite X-Man is Storm and everybody here mega stands Queen Monroe. And I can't help but notice that in the next couple of weeks... We're getting giant-size X-Men Storm. It looks to be a culmination of the four titles, and thanks to Kyle, we even think we know how the Magneto ties in through the key that was retrieved in the pages of giant-size Magneto. Getting Russell Dowderman to draw more Storm is a gift in and of itself. So I kind of got to know, what is everybody looking for from giant-size Storm? For me... I'm looking to see that connection between Storm and the children of the vault that's sort of implicitly created by the poison being of the vault. That makes me curious to see how that relationship is going to play out in like a Storm in the Morlocks way. Now that they're amping up the value of Kalisto, it makes sense to give her her people back and allow Storm to lead a new generation of erstwhile distracted mutants who need guidance. So I guess I'm looking for Storm to reclaim her rightful place as a leader among all mutants, not just the X-Men. Does anybody else have anything they're just scratching for from Dowderman and Hickman's upcoming giant size Storm number one? Wacky hijinks starring Phantom where I hope he just makes like, you know, like dancing motions at Gene. Okay, yeah, that that's a hot, that's a hot team up. I, I can see that happening. <laughs> because, you know, like now that Gene kind of has Scott Permish. and um, Logan, why can't she also include Phantom X in that? He can find a room or, you know, like a closet. And he doesn't need much. I imagine he really is okay with like being like one of those guys under the staircase that just like sleeps and only comes out when no one else is home. The Harry Potter of. Oh, I was thinking like a sick, like a scary killer in an attic, but sure, like Harry Potter. Oh, 
come on. He Same talked thing. himself into owning a mansion. Yeah, he's so great. I love him. <laughs> so what are you guys looking for from Giant Size Storm, speaking of love? Well, I would say I'm basically looking for the same thing you said you were looking for, Nico. I just want this, once she gets better, to finally establish, you know, Xavier said the democracy of the circle was only temporary. So I want him to step aside and have Storm be more of the leader because I feel like everyone loves Storm. Not everyone loves Xavier. And also with the covers that we're getting with Storm dancing with one of the... Um, with Death? I think it's one it's of with the... Death. Four, yeah, it's with, with Death. death. <laughs> with Death. It's, it's because, I mean, I because she's a goddess because they view her in this way so i feel like hickman hickman doesn't do anything for no reason so hickman making all these giant size um, issues connected all to storm basically and leading up to storms being the last one they said they had big plans for her and i am so excited they're really going to probably tap into her power and just make her maybe the whole leader of krokoa or they have like the president emperor i don't know maybe not no i totally agree based on the conversation we had about nightcrawler as religion on maddie's recommendation last episode i've been thinking about it storm as president with nightcrawler as like religious leader extraordinaire that's a really powerful combination make colossus arts minister so he can stop being sad boy i don't think anything's gonna stop him from being sad boy no i think that's just his personality honestly i cannot help but agree Unless they find some way to bring back Zashi. Oh, no. <laughs> no. That's his punishment. Even if she's a mutant, she can't come back. No. No, he don't need that. <laughs> but I feel like with Colossus, I feel like he's like a lot of the, the sad, like uh, compared to like the sad muscle gays on Instagram and Twitter that complain all the time and say they're sad even though they have like all these cards and trips and everything. He has everything that he could want, but he's still looking at the negative and is like, oh, I'm sad. I have to go farm and look like a giant muscly bear. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's like the king of gay bait. Oh, definitely. Colossus, king of gay bait. <laughs> Maddie, Kyle, what are you guys looking for from the giant size conclusion in Storm's title? You know, I'm looking for just that. I'm looking for a conclusion. I would just love to see how everything wraps up here. I'm curious to see if Kyle's correct about Key from Giant Size Magneto. I just think, given how many threads are currently open in the era of Dawn of X and pre-Ten of Swords, I would just like to see one cohesive ending. Mm. I agree. I want to see Storm get better. For me, it was weird that the ex-desk operative was able to tell that there was something wrong with Storm. So I, I want her to be able to return to how she normally normally is great reference to marauders oh thank you kind of connecting with aurora dancing with death she's kind of tied to the idea of life so i kind of want to see another life death maybe a life death life death life death oh that's right yes 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 i was definitely confused for a second i was like what are you talking about <laughs> 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 but yes, that would definitely be interesting. I would like to see that again. I hope that, I think, because I forget what writer said that. It might have been Jonathan, or maybe it was the editor. Um, but they said, like I said before, big things are coming for Storm. Like, that's the only one, that's the only character that actually said big things are coming uh, for her during Exoswords. Like, they haven't mentioned any other character. And obviously, I mean, big things are happening with Betsy because, like, 
uh, Excalibur is like the forefront of this whole event, basically, because we keep getting um, covers featuring characters from that event, from that story. And I feel like that the magic narrative of Excalibur has somehow become a pervasive element of the X-Men at large in an organic way. I feel like if it weren't for Excalibur's efforts to make the magic of X-Men, the magic of mutancy, more organic and natural, I don't know that I would buy X-Men Empire the way I have so readily accepted it. I've had some issues with the suspension of disbelief with things like initially She-Hulk's body being able to best sue Storm, but in thinking about it, the magic of Excalibur has so incredibly reshaped my understanding of mutancy that I think I'm a lot more open to a lot of what's happening because of it. Yeah, I could definitely see your point in that. And I'm glad that that was one of the things that I was really excited for when Excalibur was actually announced because I'm a big magic person. Like, Chango's very big on a cosmic, and I'm big on, like, magic and stories because I just love that shit. So <laughs> when Excalibur was announced, that was one of my most anticipated titles. I was like, yes, we finally get more mutants other than Ileana with magic. And Excalibur's kind of done that, not as much as I was wanted it to, to but I'm assuming we'll probably get more of that X of Swords and beyond because it's still technically in the beginning stages. Well, speaking of the beginning stages of X of Swords, the pages of X-Force number 11 by Benjamin Percy and Basil Dua really, like, okay, I'm so hype about Mikhail being back. Like, that's, that's my shit, right? That's what I wanted. But I feel like this sad boy detour into Colossus maybe took me out of the narrative for most of the issue. And then at the end, when it's like, oh shit, no, it's Mikhail, it kind of brought me back in. And that Mikhail's first thing was, thanks for bringing me the Cerebro Sword, which for those listeners who might not remember or maybe haven't come across it yet, the Cerebro Sword was forged of a broken Cerebro after Xavier's first reincarnation through the Krakoan Protocols. So this sword isn't some ancient magical sword this isn't like the Ten of Swords sword from pre- Like, this sword can't be something Apocalypse used 10,000 years ago. So I'm fascinated how this sword, the Cerebro sword, has taken on a purpose and significance to a character like Mikhail, and how that's going to really transform the magic of this story. Cerebro isn't magic, it's technology. Now, technology is magic in many ways, but what we're talking about here is a very literal interpretation of sword for a very not literal interpretation of magic, and I love that contradiction. In many ways, this was Percy's best issue of X-Force, for my taste. I definitely agree that this issue was definitely one of the best ones. I I just noticed looking at this again, um, I'm looking in more of the background characters, and I don't know if the artist made a mistake, not to go off track, but X-23 is in the background. I don't know if anyone noticed that, but I'm like, why is that? Why is she there? <laughs> So, okay, so look at the page, if anyone's looking with me, <laughs> when the Colossus first goes through the portal, um, and he's full of, like, steel, and he's seeing... Yeah, X-23 uh, in the background. Splash page. Yeah, see? I'm not crazy. Okay. Between <laughs> between Jubilee and Beast. Yep. In midair, no less. Yeah, I'm like, was this before she went to the Children of the Atom? I mean, not Children of the Atom. Uh, well, Vault. it's really yeah. interesting that you bring that up, because even in the pages of X-Men, we still even haven't gotten a resolution to what's happened there what happened to sync uh darwin and x-23 it feels really weird that like something so big like that like three really you know i won't say important but like important mutants went on this very like vital mission and we have no report if they're back or not or if something bad has happened exactly while i 
think the ending of this issue really did help what was exactly going on. I was very confused with the Russian uh, killer Matroshka dolls that were going on. Really bizarre and weird. I mostly, for most of it, okay, it's not really a secret that I am not the biggest fan of Colossus. I love his design and I love his power, but I can't get behind his personality ever. Whether it's where he's first introduced where he's a sad boy or here where he's a super sad boy. He never really connects with me because he just constantly feels so sad and depressed all the time. It's like a not fun Eeyore. Because Eeyore still did outings. Colossus just refuses. Colossus is like, I have to sit <laughs> home in my sadness and paint. <laughs> Speaking of paint, it's to, to echo something that Nico's saying. I think the reason that this issue of X-Force is so strong is that, for once, one of the few remaining experimental art books to come out of Dawn of X didn't have to waste time establishing its atmosphere. Cecilia Reyes gets stabbed in the throat on the second or third page, and it's off to the races. We get two pages with Colossus before he storms through a portal. Like, this was the action that I wanted to be seeing from X-Force, and maybe it's not per my taste that I don't have the patience for the special ops and the time. Tom Muller design pages, which are beautiful and informative, but I think for once the art of the book got to shine. Also loved the Madroxes. Did everybody love the Madroxes? Of course. So the thing I loved the most about the Madroxes is that's the costume he wore at the era that Colossus would have been a farmer. And that's kind of a cute touch. And speaking of the farming, there is something kind of like, I don't want to say that they're hitting us on the head with Russia, but Omega Red on the cover and Mikhail and Peter and... Now, I mean, they're like little Matroshka monsters, and I know not everybody is familiar with the word Matroshka, so they might know it as Russian nesting doll. And I kind of feel like the Russian nesting dolls were something out of X-Men Empire, (laughs) which threw me off a little bit, but I think the thing that stands out the strongest from Percy's X-Force is the chances that Marvel is taking on it. I don't know that I would say Percy's X-Force and Percy's Wolverine are telling the Wolverine and X-Force narrative I'm looking for, but I will say that for certain, he's doing something a little bit different than I'm used to seeing with Wolverine and X-Force, and the reason that stands out is in an era where DC is canceling like 37 titles a day, and they're discontinuing their streaming service, and they're getting rid of comics by the boatload. It's fascinating to see Marvel really lean into support on Benjamin Percy and this dual book narrative where the dual book narrative is usually reserved for a solo character that is the main character of a group book. And here that's not quite the case because I would not call Wolverine the main character of X-Force. I would say that seems to be a rotating position between Domino and Colossus. And with that in mind, I am interested to see where this goes. This might be the first time since like messiah complex where i feel like the crossover is truly being generated by pieces of the the other titles all of the crossover elements are flowing naturally from the titles as opposed to uh just bring this monster back real quick i feel like we were building to mikhail coming back i've been bringing it up for over a year that's not happenstance (laughs) but you know what is quentin dying again and all i can do is laugh see that's actually what i got out of this issue that quentin dying is just a running gag for benjamin percy it's the only thing that really makes sense like not to be funny but it's a necessary bit of consistency one of the things that percy wants us to accept with his book is that the x-men are going to be behaving somewhat recklessly because death no longer has the same caveat it used to carry without reminders of that with some consistency we would lose the effectiveness 
of that as an element of the story ideologically moving forward. It's why I don't really feel like Cecilia Reyes got fridged. Yeah, she got killed to move forward. Beast's research story. But everybody gets killed like that all the time. She got mini fridged. Yeah. She got mini fridged. She got igloo coolered. So. <laughs> igloo coolered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Little red solo cups in the cup holders on the top. Absolutely. And. Dr. Cecilia Reyes would never. Cecilia reyes would never go to a, a college frat party that's even on krakoa with red solo cups i feel like she's too classy for that she actually loves opera and oh, wine way too classy. yeah she's the best i love dr cecilia's uh she was the only thing that could have made new x-men better anyway i want to touch back on the sword for a moment and mikhail we now have reality altering level characters running around a lot of books not just really powerful characters because that's where you've got mr sinister and you've got a i'm talking about people who can fundamentally alter the fabric of reality with a thought like monarch in the pages of excalibur now mikhail in the pages of x-force and i'm gonna put it out there but between vulcan and any plus one summers or gray child you are looking at explosively powerful powerful abilities and we do kind of have like we have battle of the reality warpers going on right now in a way that maybe primes x of swords to do damage to the fabric of reality and i say that not lightly i say that knowing hickman has had that ability before. Hickman did so with Secret Wars and did so with his original S.H.I.E.L.D. book, which I loved with Dustin Weaver, who it's been great seeing Dustin Weaver do covers for X-Men and the Hickman era since the two of them worked extensively together at one point. But this really could change Marvel. I want to remind everybody that the numbering system, 616, 1606, those numbers that designate the universes of the Marvel continuity, sourced from essentially an X-Men book. It comes out of Captain Britain by Alan Moore. So the thought that Hickman, a guy who did Secret Wars, Hickman did Secret Wars, the, between the guy who did Secret <laughs> Wars and the title that's responsible for the idea of Marvel Multiversity so concisely drawn in the sand like that, I can't help but hope this is going to be a turning point for the Marvel Universe as a whole. Well, I think it definitely can be. I mean, we haven't seen that many, we haven't seen that many um, solicits of things going forward past Six of Swords besides the um, the Venom event that's going to happen with Noel. And if you think about it, a lot of Marvel titles like Ghost Rider and something else I can't remember have gotten canceled because they wouldn't fit continuity anymore or they just weren't fit the schedule by being finished. So I'm thinking they might not fit continuity anymore because maybe Exosaurus does change a lot of things. We didn't talk about the new purple lady. Yeah, who's she? I just like how sassy she got with Domino. And Domino's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> I think she is a psychic manifestation that Mikhail is creating. So I feel like Mikhail is probably Ooh. targeting his brother. And I assume that that's a, a manifestation of his interpretation of his youngest sister's purity. Here's the thing about Mikhail. Mikhail's fucking nuts. And Mikhail's reality altering powers are a retcon result of Claremont Lee the books so claremont wanted to use mad jim jaspers and excalibur but there was that no you can't do that so he gave jamie mad jim jaspers powers okay well then claremont had jamie over in excalibur and davis was using him when claremont left so now they needed a reality alterer over in the pages of uncanny and suddenly colossus's older brother had reality altering powers and i want to make a point about this the super strong big guy whose younger sister goes through a physical age or body 
body transformation who ultimately winds up far more successful than they were for readership gains an older brother who has reality altering powers that everybody thought was long dead. I mean like literally it's the same trajectory almost down to the years of creation for all of those characters. So Mikhail when he resurfaced for a short period of time in 1996 or so in the pages of New Mutants Truth or Death which is also sometimes referred to as New Mutants Volume 2. It's a three issue miniseries during the Ben Robb era of Excalibur. Mikhail Rasputin attempted to resurrect his dead sister. So Mikhail is really obsessed with Ileana and with the idea of fatherhood. He actually teleports a bunch of mutants to an alternate dimension where they become the Morlocks. So he's really obsessed with the idea of children are pure, kill things that are bad because I'm a scary serial killer. But yeah, I Mikhail gives me a lot of feels. He's a really interesting sociopath to study. It definitely sounds like it. <laughs> to discuss the title that more people have spent more time talking about online, I think, in the last couple of months than anything in the world. The one, the only, Captain Curly Kate. And then there's Marauders. Before we even talk about the entire issue, Rodders, I have to get your opinion. I think Storm in that hair on the cover is it. I think that's the one, and I love her in that. So I just have to get your opinion. Oh, no. When, okay, so when this cover, like, Nika was right. People have been talking about this issue, especially this cover, for months now. And when this cover came out, all of Twitter exploded because of Storm in that Ariana Grande-esque ponytail. Like, <laughs> She is, I, I do love how they are treat my queen with these looks. Thank you. Yeah, Russell Donovan, I mean, his art is ugh, immaculate. And I mean, it speaks for itself. I mean, look at it. He did my queen justice. I love it. I would just like to point out that Russell Dowderman, much like myself, is like an old queen. And I think we think blonde ambition when we think high pony, not Ariana. This is a blonde ambition high pony. This is if we took a <laughs> holiday pony step. Emma is right there. Oh, no. Don't talk about her. (laughs) (laughs) I only mention Ariana because that's the most recent thing that is uh, obsessed with ponytails. You know, that girl is always in a freaking pony. Oh, and she owns the high (laughs) pony like no one has owned the high pony. I mean, it is her high pony is just the side of genuine. That shit is amazing. Her high pony. Casey Musgraves was singing about her high horse. Yeah. That was good. So as I'm reading this issue and I'm being manipulated by it because that's what it was. This was a straight up emotional manipulation and I'm okay with it because the payoff was inherent within the issue itself, right? So it starts with Nightcrawler being like, Ja, you're not dead. Curdy, Kurt, Kurt, tail, German, God stuff. Bamf. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to keep writing you these letters because you're not dead as long as I keep writing you these letters. But I know you're dead. And Emma... And that moment with Lockheed was like everything for me. But the thing that I guess I want to say gut punched me is when I think about how Emma and Kate started out, it was a little bit cagey. And, you know, they were, oh, (laughs) no one. So it was like, (laughs) it was like. I wasn't trying to interrupt you. She was always struggling (laughs) to read her mind and figure out what she, they were just always just out of phase with one another. And as recently as like 2008, they were like best frenemies, I think about that quarantine arc in the Matt Fraction Dodson land era and I think about where they've come since then even I think about the most recent iteration of the Hellfire Club with Emma and that choice hairstyle and the thing I am walking away with 
is this is actually a story about healing wounds and learning to forgive yourself and learning to forgive others. Emma being the one who was able to reach into Kitty, which I explicitly think it required the psychic link with the dragon. Sorry, but she could not have done it without Lockheed. That it had to be Emma, the sistership, the bond, the love there. It is such a complicated depiction of love that reminded me of the definition of found family. Most of the people that have done this show with me over the years have been a part of that found family. And there was something palpable about the emotional response that really felt to me like Emma reaching her hand into the darkness to pull Kate out. I was moved and just so, so affected by what Jerry Dugan was able to convey in 22 funny pages that I was able to forgive the manipulation of the beginning of the issue where she's not coming back. I was able to forgive the manipulation that was born of COVID where it's been 200 days since Kate Pride died and this is all Twitter can talk about. I was able to forgive the fake out because the payoff was the death of the animosity between these two women. This wasn't the rebirth of Kitty Pride. This was the birth of Kate and Emma as adult women friends. And I just feel like everybody involved really deserves a round of applause for giving us something that was 40-something years in the making. It was a really beautiful oh, moment wow. and something that I enjoyed immensely. I'm obviously a big Emma Frost fan, no shocker. And I, Kate may not rank on my top X-Women list, but I know that I am a Kitty Pride. I am just that young go-getter, quirky, you know, chipper, engineer, super smart, not to brag. But <laughs> what made me unreasonably angry is the lines of that she kept drowning. You're telling me that Kate Pride's other selves drowned 17 times and nobody caught wind of that? I Okay, I'm, I actually had a thought about that because it bothered the shit out of me too. That all of these amazing psychics weren't more capable of determining what was happening. The The thing to remember is there's a lot of different kinds of scientists in the Marvel Universe. And for instance, T'Challa is as smart as Reed Richards. Neither one of them is the genetics expert Hank McCoy is. They're both absolutely smarter than Hank McCoy. But Hank McCoy knows genetic mutations better than they do. That's his area of expertise. There's only so many top tier level genetic experts in in the Marvel Universe. And disgustingly enough, most of them are supervillains. Magneto, in his early days, had a lot of experience with that, but I just imagine he hasn't kept up with the technology of the times. So it really kind of leaves you with Moira, Apocalypse, Sinister, Cecilia Reyes, Dr. Kavita Rao, Hank McCoy, and, oh, why can't I remember the other science person oh i want to push myself down a flight of stairs oh my god i'm so angry at myself oh i'm having a brain hemorrhage this is killing me oh my god i just oh my god dr nemesis oh oh that was gonna fucking kill me okay and doc <laughs> right my hemorrhage is killing me so and Dr. Nemesis. So there's just not a lot of geneticists that would be able to take part in this. I'm going to assume that Kavita Rao is not allowed on Krakoa because she's a human. Dr. Cecilia Reyes has been triage every minute of every day, so she hasn't had a chance to get all experimenty with it. No one wants to let Sinister or Apocalypse anywhere near Kate's bodies. Ever. So the number of geniuses that could do this are so small, and frankly, one of them is Dr. Nemesis, and he would let her drown just to see what happens. But to that, Most I likely. say, even if, uh, uh, well, real quick, I just want to say, what if her, you know, best friends, Rachel, couldn't chrono scrim to see what happened? They weren't curious to see what was going on in there? Rachel was busy being an X-Factor. 
I think that the reason why none of the psychics realized what was happening is because until Charles puts their consciousness into the husk, there's nothing there. So they wouldn't, oh, yeah, they wouldn't know that she was a viable uh, husk. It's sort of the way that the She-Hulk in Empire 5 couldn't be killed with an air bubble to the brain because she wasn't functioning as a creature with a brain. The plant was making it so that the creature was functioning on nerve system alone. So it's a plot contrivance by technicality. Whatever it was, it made me extremely angry. But also, I was like, <laughs> duh. Oh my god, it makes so much sense. She was drowning. She was trying to phase through it. Yes. So it's it's a it's a very beautiful mixture of hatred for something, dare I say, dumb. But something so obvious that I'm more upset I didn't think of it first. And the only other part that made me upset over it was it didn't confirm a lot of the really great theories we came up with as to why. <laughs> like, I'm still holding on that. Because Kate My hasn't been dating false. Doug, I'm like, Doug did something to Kakao, that's why she can't, because she doesn't still explain why she can't use the gates. Yeah, we yeah. had this whole thing where Doug was evil and holding Kate in Krakoa with his language power. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> because, you know, he's like, we were supposed to date. That shit was supposed to be my girlfriend. Kate's like, I've moved on. <laughs> I have better people okay, lined so up. Okay, one, so one thing that really uh, it still annoys me, and I don't know if it's overlooked or something, but so when Emma helped her go through the pod, she faces through it, right? But she that's how she died. She can't phase through the cocoa plants. So how does she phase through the pod with Emma helping her? Like, how does she do that? So if the pod is made essentially from the genetic components secreted by egg, then I would assume it's more that she can phase through the permeable membrane of egg's ability than it has to do with the Krakoan energy involved. Oh, you're right. You're right. That makes sense. <laughs> I love that we're using phrases like permeable egg membrane. <laughs> it is a permeable egg membrane because we don't it, it i would actually love a you know uh x page and x you know data on exactly egg on what's inside of his goal balls that i think you know maybe like a physiology lesson of not not physiology that's not the proper word. i have no idea you know just a lesson biology biology of his eggs it would be nice <laughs> Maddie, it would be nice. Maddie, you've been you've been like such a strong proponent of Marauders since day one. And that's absolutely been such a pleasure because Marauders has been a title that's grown with its readership. I really feel like Marauders has grown as its readers have become more attached. 11 issues in, how do you feel about Marauders? Do you still, you know, and then there's Maraud or have you moved on to the Maraud living? Oh, definitely it's it's still maraud for me i i think that my only concern is seeing on the cover that this was titled path to ten of souls and knowing that while we do get a reprieve in marauders number 12 marauders number 13 15 released between september and october november are going to be direct tie-ins not even like full-blown chapters for ten of swords so this was a very strong issue for me and a very long-awaited issue it was an issue that i could get behind all of its flaws and i'm just concerned with what's to come so that really made me think i hadn't thought of something until you said all of that that way but now i'm asking myself if this was the path to ten of swords and like the big plot here is like a kill bill-esque kill sebastian 
I almost wonder if any of the figures in Ten of Swords in this sort of great pantheon of mystical looking beings, is any of that going to be the sort of transformational body horror we've come to expect from Apocalypse? And could it be that Sebastian Shaw is going to play a pivotal role, perhaps in a different way than we've expected? I don't know that I think Apocalypse is necessarily going to turn on the mutants. And, you know, these covers are very contradictory on purpose. They don't want to give too much away. But I do find myself wondering if Path to Ten of Swords brought Kate back. For the first time, I'm asking myself, what fucking purpose is Sebastian Shaw going to have in Ten of Swords? This seems way above his pay grade. I mean, I think it definitely is way above his pay grade. I don't, I hopefully, I don't think he'll have any um, involvement in Ten of Swords and they'll kill him before. I feel like the, the more Path to Ten of Swords this issue had is this what uh kate is gonna have in ten of swords like the path was her being brought back was like oh well she's gonna have a key role in ten of swords she's gonna take charge because you know she loves swords she had a sword on the boat on the pirate ship so (laughs) i think she's gonna have a key role even though we haven't really seen her in any of the covers but i guess that's for a reason because they don't want to spoil her being back to other readers and i'm sure there's going to be a beautiful series of variants that each showcase kate and all of her kateness you know i wonder if the connection between this and Ten of Swords isn't anyone's character specifically, but rather the concept of resurrection. What if this is the last successful resurrection of you? Oh. I have nothing to back this (laughs) up. This is purely speculation. And I'm going to put Maddie Concept 1A and underneath it put Nico based on Maddie Concept 1A, Concept 1B and say, what if this is the last resurrection before Apocalypse bogarts the system? What if Apocalypse is going to use magic in some way and implant his own resurrection in the next Resurrections. Also, Nightcrawler being like, how many Resurrections was that shit? Did that seem like something to anyone else? It just... Oh, it's actually, it's a reference to her religion because 18 in the Jewish religion means life. Oh, right. You know, I just read about that the other day. You're absolutely right. Thank you so much. And that even backs up the discussion that Nightcrawler represents the idea of accepted unified theology. Ah, fucking brilliant. That's why you have people on a show. And it further further cements the the idea that Kate came back a fully realized woman in her relationship, not only with Emma, but with herself. She's a woman. She's a woman. Finally, finally, we have aged Kate Pride into a woman. Just wait till next week where she goes back to being 12. No, I won't accept it. No. (laughs) No. I think that Emma and Lockheed bringing her back was the end of Kate's childhood and was the beginning of Kate's adulthood. And I am ready to celebrate the strong, confident, beautiful Jewish woman she is. And I only say Jewish because they're leaning into her Jewish hair style and her 18 being a religious significance. That's beautiful and connect with that. Speaking of beautiful, strong women, can we talk about Storm serving daytime looks on the train and like showing all these colors? Oh, yes. So cool. It was so good. So I just want to be clear that that was definitely Storm riding the A train. I honestly miss when mutants were wearing more regular clothes. That's why I loved X Factor so much. Because oh, I just love them outside of the uniform. Like I know this is just a coat and like a scarf and a head and a hat, but oh, she looked like um oh what's her name from um Carmen Sandiego? Oh, Carrie Wash no yeah Carmen Sandiego maybe but Carrie Washington's character in Scandal what's her name uh, Carrie Washington Olivia Pope? Scandal yes <laughs> Olivia Pope Olivia Pope yes <laughs> yeah she looked like Olivia Pope and I loved ah oh, I loved Dolores the way she was describing Storm is this. The way I describe Storm with people in public that know nothing about comic books, 
and I look like I'm crazy and I loved it and I want to be friends with Dolores even though she's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Just say in in repeating uh, something that I've been bringing up a lot lately, especially after the last issue of Wolverine, it was nice not only to see representation from differently abled person, but to see that Krakoan medicine, despite being the topic and the subject at hand, was not used to hand wave away the person's handy capability. It's really important that when we're talking about the representation of people with disabilities, that we are never saying that the ultimate expression of being a person is to be healed of that disability. A disability does not define a person, but it shouldn't limit the perspective on a person's ability to interact with a fictional narrative. And I really have to echo what Maddie is saying. There is something so necessary about being certain to show not erasing people with disabilities. I think the only part that means about the storm train scene is that she she missed Kate's resurrection. And that's another friendship that Marauders really hasn't touched on outside of actually interactions between Emma and Storm with Emma asking Storm to watch over Kate just to make sure that nothing bad happens to her. It's really interesting that Storm missed out on Kate coming back. Because she's no longer Kate's mother. Yeah, Ooh. it's a necessary element of Kate growing and I wouldn't she doesn't have realized. To yeah, oh wow. Great point, great counterpoint. Jerry Dugan, if you didn't mean it, just take credit for it because it's moving. Oh yes, I mean I I appreciate Gary Dugan so much for writing these women so well and making them have such good like friendships with him healing Storm and Emma's relationship to a point and having it be such a fantastic little scene and then Emma and Kate having a great point and her becoming a woman now because she's been like y'all said age 12 for like 25 years so <laughs> I just love that so much especially like a white man is showcasing this like woman of color this woman of a different religion than him because I, I don't think he's Jewish uh, becoming such strong points in this story and such forefronts not needing anyone to really rescue them I mean Kate kind of did die but you know but her, like her other woman companions helped her and even Emma like made her come back to life essentially and them having them form friendships and her becoming a full-fledged woman after being 12 for like 25 years is just fantastic and I gotta ask you Kyle you have been the strongest Kate Stan like ever on this show. You have long fought for the sanctity of Kate as this presence in the X-Men and seeing her enter this new phase in life and you being a different person than you were when you first met Kate in that capacity. How does it feel watching her finally transform and grow up alongside the world around her? It, I loved it. I I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Um, the only thing that I had a problem with with is that I kind of think that it was a little rushed. And I was I was telling one of my friends on Twitter uh yesterday that it felt like leaving a lot of the fallout of Kate's resurrection for the next issue. So. I'm 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 holding out hope that there's uh we're going to get a lot more out of this whole situation so I have an interesting question to pose to everybody Marauders is an interesting title because Marauders are usually a band of thieves and you know ne'er-do-wells doing something they're not supposed to I feel like the point of what the Marauders team is got severely sidetracked this was meant to be helping the mutants who couldn't access their Krakoan gates to save them because they need to, they need a way to be safe and get to home 
but would it feels like a lot of the narrative got sidetracked would anybody feel this narrative got a similar level of sidetracked if this went with the name hell yes Okay, yeah, you know, I've said since day one that the two titles should be switched. The titles should be, Emma's team should be the Hellions, and Kate Pride should be leading the Hellions, and yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, okay, that's the only way you could make those two books better. Well, do that. Well, to counter that, it wasn't, their goal wasn't just to smuggle the, the mutants back to Krakoa. It was also to smuggle the medicine into those, those countries, and... Which we've seen as recently as Wolverine leading the Marauders sans Kate Pride in issue number three of Wolverine. Exactly. So the and Marauders, the Storm B plot this issue. Exactly. And the Storm B plot this issue. So there is still the 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 active goal and mission of the Marauders seems to still be one and the same and, and inextricably linked with the Krakoan medicines and, and policing thereof. And the whole reason why Kate died was because they were investigating the claim that Hominus Verandi was contaminating the medicine and that was all through the help of Sebastian so this is it, it's taken us a while to get there but it is all tied to that same that same goal and I, I also think that, you know, regarding the name swap, I think it is very in character with this new, extraordinarily um, theatrical sinister that we're getting now, calm your poopy pants sinister, that he would he would justifiably say, okay, that's fine, you stole my name, I'm going to steal your name now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did joke about uh, it. That's very true. Kate did steal. Well, here's the thing. Kate stole it first. (laughs) Kate technically wasn't a hellion, though Emma definitely wanted her to be so she can break her. No, you know what? It's it's proximity. It's proximity. You are you are aligned with Kate. You are aligned with Emma, and so hellions is fair game. What I would give to see that alternate universe where uh, Emma adopted the rest of the new mutants. New o- new O5 pitch. Emma versus Sinister as Xavier versus Magneto. Ooh. Oh yes. I mean, I think I think y'all are right about that. I think they probably should have changed names because I mean Emma did do run the Hellions and this is essentially her running this team, even though technically it's Kate, but I mean it's really Emma. And um I feel like they didn't switch them though, because they didn't want to see the Hellions team that is right now as just seen as bad guys because you know the marauders team has mostly always been like evil people and the hellions right now are mostly evil except for like havoc and and, uh, Poana, just psylocke but i think they're trying to see since they're trying to reform and become better they don't want to name them marauders just to name them an evil past team (laughs) but even the hellions didn't start off as good i would say circumstantial because i don't really for even though Emma had evil intentions when it came to her kids, I don't think she had evil intentions. She was more so trying to give her students the best that they could with their mutant life. Yeah, and I really hear that. You know, if they were the Marauders and they still were the Marauders and Grey Crow were still a Marauder, they would be much more evil conceptually. But by giving them the name Hellions, that's like a questionable team. You know, they're not the worst guys. They're just real, real questionable. Isn't that just... They're rascals. Yeah, they're rascals. 
Little Rascals. I would have loved that as a title. Oh, Little Rascal Murder Faces. Yeah. Little Rapscallions. Little Rapscallions. There is no better way to say goodbye to this episode than with Little Rapscallion. Oh, good God. So on that note, Rod, it has been amazing having you here. I've had such a great time learning space. Rapscallions. Jesus. I had such a great time. onions. Oh, my God. I've had such a great time learning space with you and then coming back to spend time with the X-Men. And don't forget, every retweet, every every retweet of the episodes featuring Rodders will enter you to win a copy of the Worlds Apart trade. Also, we are very excited to announce that somebody did, in fact, win the Dazzler action figure, and we will have photos when it makes its way to their home. And keep an ear out for next episode when we draw the winners of the Chongo t-shirt contest. So a lot of exciting things coming on. But until you return to our wonderful shores, Rodders, where can everybody find you online oh, on twitter and instagram you can find me at hawks rod that's h-a-u-x-r-o-d hawks rod amazing as always jonah you know this whole thing started when you and i had this weird idea to talk about x-men kyle and maddie we've just made such a big family and i just so excited that we're ra- like racing towards x of swords i am so excited to see mutant magic take center stage congratulations to the first person to winning dazzling beauty oh wow that's technically a dazzling Dazzling beauty! Aww. Hey. Aww, that's the awards we give out when we realize something. Aww. <laughs> oh wow. Let's make sure that we covered X Force number eleven as well as Marauders number eleven. These two issues culminated into what was a big payoff that these books were trying to set up. I would say X-Force just a little bit less because there was a big payoff on Beast being a dumbass and letting a mutant plant virus, you know, basically destroy an entire city slash country. But Kate's resurrection has been something that fans have been looking forward to for months since she died in Marauders and is now back. And we were wondering, why can't she come back? Let her just be happy. But Kate can never be happy. She's one of those. Unlike Colossus though she tries to find happiness colossus just likes to wallow in his sadness from wallowing in sadness to excitation of what's coming next kyle what are we covering next time next week we will be covering cable number three empire x-men number four excalibur number 11 and wolverine number four but until next time you'll probably find me in a corner crying happily that kate is back or you can also find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Maddie, where can everybody find you? You can find me anxiously awaiting the upcoming Ten of Swords over on Instagram at, at the Basely Covetous Man. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me in the fields of the Savage Lands growing Krakoan medicine flowers because I don't want to do anything important with my life because I'm a sad boy. On Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? I think making medicine is pretty important with your life, but anyway. Not when you're Colossus. That's actually a strangely decent point somehow. So you guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML, Too Fast Too Forever for the Summer, as well as all the feeds of this show. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, where I will have some pretty cool announcements about some other places you'll be able to find me in the near future. And guys, it's just 
should go without saying, but Black Lives Matter, trans dreams matter, and this election cycle, one of the most important things you can do is make sure your vote counts for your weakest friend's safety. The only thing you need to arm yourself with now is unbiased information, and the only bias that is okay is the bias that keeps people alive. Ladies and gentlemen, until we come back, keep those Krakoan lights lit and those mutant gateways open, and we will see ya. Bye!